a quarter, Eagle Alpha's Director of Data Strategy and Analytics, Ronan Crossan, is joined by Peter Green and Ben Cozen from New York law firm Lowenstein Sandler. These conversations are part of Eagle Alpha's client-only monthly legal workshops. In this episode, Peter and Ben reflect on the year gone by and highlight the most prominent topics for the alternative data community, such as the App Annie securities fraud case and SEC examinations, conducting appropriate diligence with risk-based assessments, and the documentation of vendor evaluation. The group also looks ahead to 2022 and highlights what they believe to be the most important going into the new year. Please enjoy this dialogue between Peter, Ben, and your host, Ronan Crossan. Thank you very much for joining us there. But I, I guess it's, it's been a quiet few days for you, so you probably could, could spare the time today. Crazy. <laughs> but, it's, but it's what we've all sort of been waiting for and, and talking about for a couple of years, so it's not surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe, Peter, just to, if you want to just set the, set the scene, uh, can you maybe just give us an overview of what the SEC charges involve? Sure. So, uh, as you say, Ben and I have been doing virtually nothing but this for the last few days, just because it is such an important moment for the re- regulatory aspects of alternative data in the U.S. So this settlement, um, and we obviously don't represent App Annie, um, this, this settlement was the product of an investigation that started three or four years ago. So it's going on for quite some time. It's a settlement. The matter's now finished. And let's, as best as we can, unpack the facts just from the, the words on the page in the order. App Annie sells essentially has two product lines, two sources of, of revenue. One is app providers send their app usage data to App Annie. So let's just pick one for an example. Let's use Starbucks. I, I, it's just a proxy for a conversation. Starbucks has nothing to do with anything. It has nothing to do with the order. Starbucks didn't get in any trouble. I don't even know if they provide data to App Annie. But let's say Starbucks has an app in the App Store, and it takes the data from the App Store, and it shares that data with App Annie so that App Annie can help Starbucks optimize the performance of its app, understand its data, understand its analytics, perhaps retailer its app, change its app, do a better job of generating revenue from its app. So App Annie takes that data and helps Starbucks. When App Annie, and again, we're just going on the terms of the order, takes that data from Starbucks, it, among many other things, promises to Starbucks, hey, we won't take your DI. DI, your identified, non-anonymized user data. So for example, that Ben Cozen went to Starbucks on this day. He lives here. He's a white male over the age of, let's just go with with 35, Ben, over the age of 35. And he bought this this much in, in product. So App Annie promises Starbucks, we won't identify Ben with this data when we pass it on to anyone or when we use it. So that's promise number one from App Annie. So then I said at the beginning, App Annie has two product lines. One is this product line where it helps the Starbucks of the world. And then two is, and certainly the more important, more profitable, more um, higher revenue generating um, part of this equation for App Annie. We understand just from public information that App Annie's EBITDA last year, I think was $20 million. The fine was $10 million. Clearly, this is a meaningful fine. So the second part is App Annie sells as we know, data to hedge funds. Many on the buy side have used App Annie for years. They use App Annie to help them, combined with their fundamental analysis, predict earnings or handicap And so App Annie, when it sells its different product lines 
to hedge funds, makes a promise to those hedge funds. Remember, it made a promise to the Starbucks of the world. We won't sell Ben Cozen's information or provide Ben Cozen's identifiable information to hedge fund A. But it also tells hedge fund A, because we know how important data provenance is. Ben and I have been preaching about it for years, and it's important from an insider trading perspective because you don't want to receive information that's material and non-public and communicated to you in breach of a duty or misappropriated. So those are the three elements in the U.S. So when it sells the information to the hedge fund, it promises the hedge fund in writing, hey, we're allowed to sell you the information we're selling you. So what the SEC seems to be saying and the SEC's order is detailed, but it's certainly not as detailed as the dive Ben and I have been doing on this topic for years. What the SEC order seems to say is, hey, you lied to both, Appani, right? Now, we'll get into the timing of this and when this occurred and how Appani apparently has very much cleaned up its act, which we all think is a very good thing. Appani lied to both sides. They lied to Starbucks and they lied to the hedge fund. Maybe lied is too strong a word, but um, so let's use the word misrepresented instead. That's what the SEC seems to be saying. So from the perspective of App Annie, App Annie had a problem here because it was making these misrepresentations in connection with the purchase or sale of a security. And we'll get to that in connection with, which has seemed to generate, I think, more buzz than it probably needs to. But App Annie has a problem because it's misrep- made a re- misrepresentation to the hedge funds in connection with the purchase and sale of securities. And it's also made misrepresentations to Starbucks. So App Annie has a problem. Well, so then the question is, oh no, what about the hedge funds, right? Those are our clients. Well, the hedge funds seemingly did a good job here, right? They got the representation that the SEC now is saying turns out not to be true. They got the representation from App Annie. They asked the right questions. They did good diligence. They have a good agreement in place that, um, you know, we, I don't know about every agreement, but they they made an effort to put good agreements in place with App Annie that protected them. So the hedge funds, in a lot of ways, are doing exactly what we want the hedge funds to be doing. So there's a lot more to unpack, but I'll pause there. I don't want to get too far afield just from the facts. Ben, do you want to add anything to the facts that you think I left out that's that's important? No, I think that that's pretty much spot on. It was just, you know, there's misrepresentations of important information after they had both orally and uh, in writing represented to the contrary what they what they said they wouldn't do. So, um, you know, they, they were, this is like a classic case, at least as presented by the SEC of just fraud. Right. Yeah, and, that, and, to, and, and to, on that point of fraud, I guess, so the, the SEC announcement, it, it specifically mentions private data from listed companies as part of this fraud. But to be clear, this is not related, this is not an insider trading judgment or a settlement. It's fraud. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it, just- it, well, yeah, I mean, look, we, we don't want you to get too in the weeds on, on something. It's a pretty technical ruling in terms of, you know, usually... The, the the substantive law that they cited, you know, and charged in App Annual, which is 10b5, is is the law and and the rule and statute pursuant to which insider trading cases are 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 brought. But for to have an insider trading case, you have to have trading, and App Annie wasn't trading, so uh, it just so happens that that's the anti fraud one of the key anti fraud provisions in the securities laws that the SEC. And you know, to, to the extent the Justice Department ever gets involved is, is what they're using. But that's that, that's this is not an insider trading case. This is just, hey, you knew that you had investors that were relying on your information in order to you you know use that information as part of their securities investment decisions, 
and you defrauded them by providing them false information right. after you represented to the contrary. So that's how they brought it in. But that's, you know, that's a technical issue more than it is. One of right. Them. There's no statute in the U.S. that says insider trading is illegal, right? Insider trading laws, as Ben just said, brought under 10b-5. Insider trading cases are commenced under 10b-5. This, so I think it's a distinction without a difference in some sense between insider trading and fraud right here. If they had wanted to, look, you can be a tipper and still be prosecuted for insider trading. If they had wanted to go on down the line, which they didn't and which they're not, to go to the hedge funds who had traded, they would. But as I said at the beginning, the hedge funds were defrauded here because they thought the information was clean. And so the SEC didn't have or didn't think it had, but didn't have a case against the hedge funds. Um, Next time, we we always said, let's see what the first case is. It'll be a big, splashy case. Next time... It may be very different, right? Next time, the hedge funds may be the targets. Yeah, yeah. And another, maybe this this is a technical question or um, aside the point. But Appani settles here. It was a settlement, rather. You know, they didn't they didn't fight it in any way. Is, is that is that the norm? Um, could there be a scenario where Appani disputed this and gone through the process? Well, it went on for four years. So you know, and look, we don't know anything of the inner workings here between the. Uh, uh, regarding the conversations between App Annie and the SEC. So it went on for three or four years, whatever it was. So clearly there was a lot of back and forth in investigation. I'm sure App Annie um, defended itself in the context of those conversations, if lawyers did, in the context of those conversations with the SEC. Most cases end with a settlement like this, an order. Um, most cases don't go to trial. That goes for um, most cases in the U.S. criminal justice system, including cases commenced by the SEC and the DOJ. The statistics are mind-bogglingly one-sided in that sense, 90-something percent of cases settle. So this case settled. It settled after a bunch of back and forth. Um, ben, I don't, I don't know if you want anything. Do you yeah, want I mean, look, the, the other thing I'd say is when you read these things, often even the, what goes into the settlement perhaps is negotiated. And oftentimes, you know, the conduct, you know, that is as is outlined by the SEC, it oftentimes when you get behind and talk to people and inside baseball, is worse than, than what you see on the page because that's part of the agreement of settling is, is, is getting the narrative, you know, in a way that, you know, it's usually going to be mostly driven by the SEC, but I, but they do not, you know, the, the, uh, the party who's, who's the subject is, is also involved potentially in, in saying, look, we don't, you don't want to ruin our business by saying things that make it where we can't operate anymore because you're accusing us of such horrific things in the narrative of how you describe the facts and nobody will ever come, come near us. Yeah. So is there anything that Abani's clients could have done to, to detect this? Like, is there any level of data provenance checks or um, DVQs or um, anything that could have detected this or were, were there any red flags? Yeah, look, that's the question. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, look, and then Peter expand. It's kind of like the way the analogy I always use is you can have a great alarm system in your house and you can take reasonable steps and do all kinds of things that would be sensible in protecting somebody from, from burglarizing you. But if somebody's really smart and, and intent on doing it, they're going to do it. So then it's just a question of you know what things can you do to, to, to minimize the chances of that happening, you know. And so that's what you know that's what we spend a lot of time with clients talking about. How do you how do you best protect against you know minimize the chance of being defrauded? So I I agree with that. Look, first of all, it, it seems the SEC didn't think so, right? Because if the SEC thought that that the hedge funds were at fault and did shoddy diligence then they, they likely would have said something here and they're not. So that's that's one part of it. Ben's right. Can it, look, clients say all the time, 
how we talk about how it's great to have excerpts. I'm not talking about App Annie, but it's great to have excerpts of contracts between the data vendor and its suppliers and to chase the data provenance up the chain. And we always, clients say, well, how much, how far am I supposed to go? I say that all the time. And we know if you do every single thing you could do, turn over every stone, it will take too long and you won't get any deals done. If you do nothing, well, then you haven't done a good enough job. And so it's somewhere in the middle there, of course, and it does depend on the context. So could people have done more? Yeah, I'm sure people could have done more. And some people maybe did do more. But just because you could do more doesn't mean the law requires you to do more. You have to do enough to show that you have, as we always say, robust compliance policies and procedures in place designed to prevent violations of law. And it seems like the staff has concluded that the hedge funds did have such policies and procedures in place. And as Ben said, Afani wanted to break into the house. Yeah, yeah. Like for, from our side, what, what we'd say, we actually noticed that um, Appani were uh, refused to complete our DDQ and our platform. And I guess in, in hindsight, that was a red flag. And we have heard in the market that they were particularly um, a number of years ago, they were more hesitant to complete DDQs. So I guess that in itself could could have been a red flag. Um, and it's something to, to be mindful of if you're if, if a vendor is hesitant to answer some of your questions or a flat refuses to, to answer them, then that's, I guess, a very clear red flag. Do you know whether any buy-side customers were witnesses in the case, provided information to the SEC? And how do you think the case came to the SEC's attention? A tip, whistleblower, or a sweep? I need to find out what a sweep is, but I'll pass that. Yeah, yeah. So personally, Peter, I, I don't. I don't know if you have any any knowledge of it. I don't. I don't. I don't know the answer to the question as to whether. I don't know the answer to the question as to whether they were witnesses. We do know anecdotally that um, the staff, in looking at in routine examinations at use of data, has been looking at hey, who was doing business with App Annie? But those are just routine exam questions. So they were trying, I think, no question, to help build their case against App Annie by just looking at what they could look at in the files of registered investment advisors who are undergoing routine exams. But in terms of being witnesses, I, I have not heard that. And, and they didn't mention in the settlement, which sometimes they would in a press release or something like that, that this came as a result of a whistleblower, at, you know, right. um, bringing this to their attention, um, obviously to do because of the, the publicity that they like to bring around the whistleblower program. Uh, so I don't know. And, you know, as, as Peter said, anecdotally, the, the, you know, the, the SEC has been looking at the buy side, obviously, now we know it's the data vendors as well, um, perhaps equally, we don't, we're not sure. They don't usually publicize who they're looking at, um, but we know through through our through clients and, and through talking to other industry participants, and for the last several years, the SEC has been do, asking a lot of questions in exams for firms that indicate that they're using alternative data as part of their investment process. So, you know, that's that's all we can say. I don't think we have, you know, yeah. baseball. We, you know, in terms of what the, the behind the scenes was as to how they got got to this case. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to come on to the the, the, implicate, the wider implications and again, invite attendees to submit questions. There's a question there that I'll get to in 30 seconds, but just to, to answer, to, to, to kind of um, wrap up the more technical questions around the ruling, uh, there has been some accusations that, or some claims that the settlement stretches the in connection with the purchase of sales and securities requirement, and, and most notably, uh, one of the SEC's own commissioners. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I, I think that um, 
people are getting lost in the weeds on that a little bit. I saw Hester Pierce's tweet as we all did. It doesn't matter with respect to this case. This case is closed. It's done. So as to whether it stretches the in connection with, that'll be for a court to figure out on some later case when someone fights the case and goes to trial. So um, we're a long ways away from anyone answering that question. The reality is right now, as best as you can see, that's the law, right? The SEC said that this was in connection with the purchase or sale of a security. And while there might have been some dissension within the SEC, the SEC's position as the SEC is that there was um, conduct in connection with the misconduct in connection with the purchase or sale of security. So um, it's an interesting intellectual question. I'm not sure it matters at the moment. Ben? Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think that, that there's no more to say about that. This is, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. And just, just to, uh, to finish off on the, the vendor perspective, like, you know, could, is the risk that more, I guess, minor misrepresentations by vendors are open to SEC sanction than um, has it opened up, you know, if someone's overstating their correlations or their back testing or cherry picking, um, cherry picking the case studies, um, these kind of more minor misrepresentations, could that, could this ruling, I guess, this, this settlement have, um, implications for those kind of more minor misrepresentations? And was it, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, Ronan, about what's a minor misrepresentation versus yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> that. That would give rise to an SEC investigation, to be frank. Um, I, I, I think, you know, what it's really getting at is what we're going to talk about, you know, which is how do you, what, what and it's stuff Peter and I have been talking about for, for years with you guys now, which is what's your process look like in terms of evaluating your, your vendors um, from, from the perspective of our clients. Um, I don't, you know, and I think it's, it's certainly for the, for the data vendor community, you know, a, a very significant wake up call, which is, you know, it's not just, it's not just the data vendors I mean, it's not just the hedge funds that need to worry about that regulator, right? The SEC is looking at you too. And so, I mean, you know, I'll make one comment just holistically, which is this is generally a net positive thing for the whole industry because it's, because it's, it's bringing in everybody and the SEC is not saying yes. that one of you is, one of you is, you know, one participant in this, in this ecosystem is, is not responsible under our regulation. You all are. Ben, do you want to, it's probably a good jumping off point. Do you want to talk about process, like, you know, what process, policies, yeah, procedures? Look, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum for those that have heard us speak before. But really what this is, you know, you know somebody asked a question, I see it, you know, is this a wake-up call for hedge funds increasing their due diligence and data provenance? I don't think this is a wake-up call. I think you should, you know, hopefully over the last several years, if you're an active user of this kind of data, this is something you've at least in part been doing. But what it really highlights is, is what we've been talking about, which is the demand for a multi-pronged approach to due diligence um, in terms of, you know, having a good DDQ is certainly, you know, the right step. Um, have, you know, coupling that with a live telephone, you know, diligence conversation or Zoom or whatever you prefer. And, um, you know, looking at following up if you're not, you know, if there's, if there's further, um, evidentiary issues you want to deal with for example as peter said redacted contract contractual provisions from from, from from data sources and then having a good contract that supports all of your findings is is you know is certainly the approach and then appropriately if you're in the compliance function trying to document it and then finally kind of 
having, you know, you want, it's not a one and done process, as we know from what we're talking to clients anecdotally. There's, you know, the SEC expects kind of a regular follow up. And to the extent, you know, just sending a notice saying has anything changed is probably not sufficient for them. They really want you to, you know, be assessing on a recurring basis, particularly if you're adding a new product or the, or the vendors added some is offering you something new that you want to buy that you, you know, go through that process um, again and not just, you know, have a one-time sign off. So that's, I'll pause there. I mean, I know, you know, but that's something that, that you should be doing. I think it's definitely to answer the person's question who asked it, you know, an expectation that you're going to see from the SEC when they examine you, if you're a heavy uh, user of, of alternative data. I know Peter, if there's anything to add to that, but. Look, that's what we've been saying for years. And so I think that um, if you're not, if you haven't been doing it, of course you, you should start doing it, but it, this isn't what should have made you start doing it. You should have been doing it for years. That is have a DDQ, have a diligence memo and have a, um, a contract that, that protects you and that you've negotiated with respect to data provenance and PII with the vendor so that when the SEC comes in and they ask you for your file on every alternative data vendor, you can show them a file that contains written responses to a DDQ that contains um, a memo summarizing the diligence you did and perhaps calls you had with um, company management and or company compliance, whether it's inside or outside compliance and or legal, and um, a contract that protects you. And yeah. if you have all those things in place for each vendor. Um, we think you're you're following best practices. Yeah. And the other thing I would add in response to the, the query Ronan or comment Ronan just made is it's not just multi-pronged, it's multidisciplinary. So the lawyers and the compliance professionals are important. Discipline is part of the process, but as importantly, if not more importantly, is the is the is the investment team and data science team who can or best situated to make an assessment determination. It you know of is it does does what they're telling us in terms of the data set that they're providing makes sense as to how they're obtaining the data and the outputs and that, that they're telling us they can provide to us. Is that based on actual good data practices and good data science, or is that, you know, or am I missing something as to how uh, they're actually reaching these conclusions as, as was that in Abani where there was, you know, as, as the SEC stated, they were manipulating the data. And, and if you had been a good data scientist, you might've said, well, how can you actually get this these these correlations with just what you're telling us you're using, and and yeah. they probably would have detected that there was some problem in the data. Mm. Yeah, and and I know Peter and Ben this, these uh, these points around data provenance and and having uh, policy procedures in, in place is something you you emphasize every month when we speak. The I guess maybe part of that specific question uh, says, do, do you regard this as a shot across the bows? Maybe the the question is whether part of this uh, action by the SEC is as a signal to the wider market that they're watching. Do you think, uh, well, I don't know how, I guess you need to get into the mind of the SEC then, but uh, is that, would that be typical of the SEC to bring a case like this to uh, let the market know we're, we're watching and alternative turn the data on our radar? I mean, it's been on there. The SEC is the one thing I love about, about the area of law that we practice in is the SEC is like one of the more transparent regulators you can have in the United States, at least. And and yeah. alternative data has been on their priorities list now for two years, uh, 2020, 2021. As a, you know, so uh, not surprised that it's, you know, uh, you know that, that was, of course, in the mix of a whole bunch of other priorities they had, but they haven't hidden the ball about alternative data being something that's a focus area. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's quite a few questions coming in between the Q&A and the chat. Please do keep them coming in. Um, so the next question, thank you for the conversation. Should data buyers have a more rigorous approach for vendors who sell signals as opposed to raw data in order to try and identify whether data has been appropriately used in the generation of that signal? So now you're asking a, a broader question that's hard to answer because it depends on who you are, but let's let's talk about it. You're asking, I, I think what you're asking is, well, so app data, does app data, not just app any, there are a whole bunch of other providers out there. There's Apptopia, Sensor Tower, there are others. Does app data now require a different level of diligence? So one of the things we've, we've talked about is, is that Ben and I just said is, I think, we, with respect to data generally, you don't need to change your processes and procedures if you have a best-in-class DDQ diligence process and vendor negotiation process. If you're doing that, you don't need to change anything as a consequence of this. So then the question is, well, do I need to change how I diligence the app providers? Um, look, all the app providers are going to come out with a white paper. They've already started to um, as to why I'm talking about all the non-app any providers. Uh, providers who are not app any are all going to come out with white papers in the next week and say, hey, here's why we're okay. It's okay to do business with us. So you can let them do your thing and then we'll all read those white papers and we may have follow-up questions and there may be diligence off of that. But my guess is this um, sub-segment of the alt data industry is going to police itself pretty quickly right now because they're all going to be responsive to the SEC's allegations um, and findings against that banning. Ben? Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, this is, this is, if anything, I think kind of answer, answer somebody's question earlier, which is, you know, should you, if you don't, if you're not taking whatever is appropriate for your organization in terms of the diligence you need to have, you, you know, and process if this is an active part of your investment program now, uh, you should be. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the key takeaway here for, for those that are listening that don't have these kind of multi-pronged and multidisciplinary approaches to the onboarding and monitoring of their, their data vendors. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, of, of new, new news there, but certainly if you weren't doing it, it should be a wake-up call. Yeah. Do you think there, there are more questions, which I'll get to, and please do keep them coming in, but one from me. And do you think the the, the data set DD will take longer now, the evaluation of data sets, particularly the legal compliance sign-offs? Do you think the buy side will make any changes, and will, will you be making any changes um, in how you evaluate data sets and data vendors? I mean, on, the, on the legal side, I don't, I think, the legal compliance side, I don't, I think the process is still the process, right? And as, as we've just outlined it previously. I, I don't know that it's gonna take longer. I, I think it actually may shorten it if I was if I'm being a glass half full person, because a lot of times, unless, especially earlier years, less so in, in the more recent years, we get pushback, Peter and I would get pushback when we ask, oh, well, show us the, the contract that you have or show us you know, a redacted contract that you have with your source and, and, and their source and so on and so forth. And people would think we're crazy and annoying lawyers. That, that process should be quicker and easier now because everybody is going to understand why the, um, the clients are asking for it. You know, I recently had somebody ask, you know, a vendor that got caught and bought by a large organization, you know, that the large organization didn't want to provide information beyond just a very, very basic rep. And, the, and you know, I was in some ways smirking on Friday because of, last week because they have Andy's opinion and came out and said, look, we need this stuff see the attached order and that sort of expedites things and and alters their response you know to, uh, to, to providing the information that uh, uh, a hedge fund is requesting yeah yeah and 
could we, could we see a move towards external legal sign-off for vendors' procedures? I, I think we, we probably see, we see a little bit of it. Do you think that that will become the norm? And yeah. do you take extra extra comfort when there is um, another pair of legal eyes has, has looked at the procedures? Yeah, so I, I, I just don't think we're close to that yet. I, I understand the, the value of it for sure. Um, the most sophisticated largest hedge funds and the medium size hedge, they're going to want to do their own diligence, right? And trust their own diligence. Um, if some external party in theory diligence to every vendor um, and then you, and, and signed off on it, signed off on most of them, of course. Um, and then you bought their services, right? Being a customer of their services, it's possible. But my sense is, that look, many of the, the the medium and large managers out there, they don't use external counsel. They do this internally. They have a team of people internally, it's diligence vendors. This is only going to make people more nervous, not less nervous, right? Because now the SEC brought a case, they brought a headline worthy case, and um, yeah. it treaded sort of close to the hedge funds. It didn't get to them, but it treaded sort of close. And so the hedge funds, I think, are just going to, if anything, they're going to be more nervous and step up their game more and want to do their diligence, their internal diligence. Um, Due diligence on their own, even more so. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, 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 I think that's right. I think. Look, I, I think that's right. You know, we don't want to sound like you know cheap, cheap suit used car sales. Right. Like that's not what we're. You know, we're if if somebody wants you know to use outside counsel because they think it's best, it's it's part of their process and and it's and it's a, the best approach. You know, of course, right? That's something to do. But you can you can certainly have an internal team that replicates exactly that creates oh, yeah. that file memo at the end of the process that memorializes what you did, how you did it, who you spoke to, when, and and what your findings were and why. Um, that, that can be done by a you know, strong internal team just as well as outside counsel. Yeah, very good. Uh, so, so getting back to the, the attendees some of the questions, uh, thoughts on any legal remedies to existing app any subscribers, especially ones signed before yeah. 2018? My initial response, a very good question, and one I haven't given much thought to. My initial response, maybe Ben will totally disagree, is um, that might be crazy, right? Um, the, at the SEC didn't charge any hedge funds, right? If you now start suing App Annie and getting into a case, and I, look, each case is different. You have to see what the facts were, what your diligence showed. So this is a global answer that cannot be applied to anyone in particular. And for anyone in particular, you really should talk to your outside lawyer and think it through. But um, so maybe crazy is too strong. But what I'd want to be really careful about is don't up and open a can of worms up in a private litigation with App Annie that would then allow the SEC to take another look at certain subscribers. Um, the, yeah. the, 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 the existential threat to hedge funds is insider trading. It's not whether you can recover your $282,000 subscription fee from App Annie for a given year. Totally agree with that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, next question. Do you think the SEC even attempted to make the materiality case here? Do you think they needed to? A materiality discussion seems to be missing from order. No showing that the app any data actually predicted prices, leaving aside that this was settled, not mitigated. And have you thought about that at all? Um, yeah, look, I don't know the, I think materiality is always what the SEC views is the easiest thing to prove because it's a, they have the benefit of hindsight being 2020. So it's like, well, what, you know, you get all these people paying you all this money for this data. If it was irrelevant, why would they be paying you all this money? So 
that's kind of where they, you know, I don't think they need to spend much time talking about materiality when they have. Right. If the SEC, if the SEC had decided to go after hedge funds, which it didn't, which it's not in this case, um, at least there's nothing to suggest they are, let's put it that way. Um, I think the materiality part would be pretty easy. Part of the case um, wouldn't be that difficult to make for the reason Ben said, right? You're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this stuff. Why are you paying hundreds of thousands of dollars year after year for this if it doesn't matter? Um, this case, if it were ever had been commenced against a user, against a hedge fund, it would have hinged on the um, intention and the misrepresentation element, right? The information is clearly non-public. The app any data isn't available to everyone. I agree with Ben. Um, materiality here sh- wouldn't be the problem for the staff. The third element of the crime in the U.S., so to speak, um, if it were the DOJ, or third element of the civil charge in the SEC would be this concept of, well, how did you get the data? Did you um, receive it in breach of an obligation, covenant, or duty? And um, you know, we talked about that for for a while at the beginning, and you know that would be the gravamon of this uh, yeah. of this claim. Yeah, I see. Just just one question for me: uh, Can Eagle Alpha flag data vendors that that were asked for DDQ and did not provide? Absolutely, uh, we are the, the only place to the only place for uh, centralized place for DDQ. So we have 500, 500 plus DDQ, so we can flag that. We're actually highlighting as well DDQs that have changed over time and what what um, metrics have changed or uh, fields have changed in the DDQ. And um, so, if you want to reach out, that's anonymous attendee. But if you want to reach out directly to inquiries with Eagle Alpha, or to myself, or Natalie, around the team we can uh, talk to that in more detail but the answer is yes um the uh the next question is maybe partially for me as well but i'll pass it uh peter ben uh how do you view AA going forward or how do you view app Annie going forward are subscribers dropping them or re-upping diligence and maintaining say, say the last part again yeah, it, 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 just say the last part again our subscribers are they dropping them or re-upping diligence and maintaining? Ben? Yeah, look, I think I think we're in a place in the current moment in time in a wait and see kind of approach. I think I would if you have a contract with that Andy and you haven't signed it yet, I would, you know, perhaps just give it some time. Let's see how things shake out over the next few weeks. If you have a contract in place, I think the SEC is pretty clear they've you know remediated. A lot of the problems that existed, and I wouldn't rush to go canceling it. Perhaps, you know, at this, you know, like in a knee-jerk reaction way, I think you need to sort of take a breath and, and see where where things shake out, as 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 in, in both in terms of App Annie's response, the industry's response, um, anything further from the SEC on this, and then you can make a more informed decision going forward. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you see how the market. But look, all we've been doing is talking to people over yeah. the last three, four days. You need to see how it's been three days or five days, whatever it is. You need to see how the market reacts and see what you look. You want to be this is one where you want to be behaving like everyone else is behaving. Well, we don't, you don't quite know how everyone's behaving. You got to let, you got to see. But, you know, Ben's right. The SEC did seemingly go to some lengths to make clear that, that there's been some remediation. And so yeah. it may be that where people end up is, there's been remediation. We're going to re-diligence, make sure we're comfortable, and we're going to continue to do business with them. I think that that's a very possible, likely result. Yeah. But, but we're seeing our, see how it plays out. Yeah. On, on our side, we're definitely seeing anyone who's coming new or has been you know, looking to for their first subscription to an app vendor. We, we think that we, we could see some market share shift there, potentially. We are seeing interest in the other vendors and alternatives to app Annie. 
And um, so I, I think it's it's likely you will see some shift in the market share there over time. Yeah, I think um, I think wrote in the point is whenever you have a, a settlement of, of fraud by a primary regulator and a well-respected regulator like the SEC, everybody's thinking twice right now. They're not sure what to do because the investment teams are probably saying we still like the data and we like to keep using it. And at the same time, there's reputational issues. You got to talk, you have investors that you got to deal with and who are going to be asking questions about this over the, you know, some of them may not pay as close attention as the people on this call, but they may come across their desks in the next week or two. And they may, you know, say, make some phone calls into the IR function and say, what's going on? Do you guys use this? And what are you thinking about? And so that's why it's not a rush to judgment. It's sort of like a wait and see. Yeah. Um, the next question, uh, what compliance representations do you think it is critical to get into contracts with alternative data providers? If you aren't able to get the representations into contract, is it enough to get them into compliance due diligence questionnaire? Now, I think uh, this is a topic we could do an entire webinar on, and maybe this is the topic we do next month's compliance webinar on. But um, any initial answers to that? Question. I mean, I mean, look, look. As we've been saying for years, you want to get a represent in a best case scenario. You want to get a representation from the provider that says um, we have the right. To, it's it's much longer than this, but to sum it up, we have the right to sell you the data that we're selling you for you to use for financial modeling purposes. In other words, we're it's we're not violating any covenant obligation or duty longer form. We're not violating any covenant obligation or duty to any third party by selling you this data for, for your intended purpose. That's what you should be striving to get. Do you get that in every instance? No, it's usually negotiated. Maybe you get a little bit less. Maybe you get even more than a little bit less. If you get more than a little bit less, is the is something in the compliance DDQ good enough if it's not in the contract? No, it has to be in the contract because the contract will have an integration clause that says anything else promised outside of this document is irrelevant. The only promises are those set forth in this document. And so if something's really important, and this is the most important part of any contract because hedge, insider trading is an existential risk to a hedge fund, an insider trading allegation is an essential existential risk to a hedge fund because that's the most important part. It has to be in the contract. You can't just be comfortable that it's in some other memo or email you got. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that, Peter. I think there's never, we don't talk, we're lawyers, so we don't, we almost never really talk in absolutes. But, you know, you should try and have these in the contract, at least something close to what that was outlined. I think what the SC highlighted in Abbey and in the order at least was probably less than what Peter just described. Um, but, but which is so that's kind of, a, I think, a good thing for the industry because it, it is a, there's a bilateral negotiation that goes on. So we, I guess you recognize that perfection is not, is, the, is not the requirement in terms of the rep. But that being said, if you're not going to have a rep along those lines, you better have a really well documented reason for not having it in your files and you better be comfortable with it. And you probably should have counsel if you want to be really prudent outside counsel documenting, you know, why you don't have the, I agree with that. the reps. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, we have, um, we're, we're, we're getting, um, getting close to the end of the questions, and so I'll just uh, invite the final round of questions from attendees. Um, there's a question here, and I, I think uh, the, the asker answers his or her question. I, I don't understand what the broken promise was in terms of anonymizing data for this purpose. Yeah, this is. I, I saw this one. It's way yeah. too much for. It's way too much for this call. Yeah. Um, if someone wants to talk about that, um, look, it's always a balance for us, of course. 
Um, we're, we're talking to clients all day long these days. If someone wants to talk about um, that question with us, you know, they should feel free to reach out to us. I'm not sure that there's an answer to that question, Ronan, because the order is just yeah. not that detailed. We don't, yeah. we don't know for sure, right? Some of this is surmising. We don't know for sure what um, the back and forth was and what the particular misrepresentations were um, that the SEC was uncomfortable with. We're just surmising. But if someone okay. wants to, to drill down further, they certainly can reach out to Benner. Yeah, I mean, as, as, we, as we noted earlier, this is a narrative that's very, very controlled when it when it's issued, and it's partly you know with input or part of the negotiation of the settlement is is, is with the defendant and how how it gets represented. So, how, how what actually the facts were, you know, only the SEC and, and the company really know. Maybe maybe stuff comes out of the tongue, but we, we can't yeah. speculate. Okay. Okay. Just uh, for me, Dalon, uh, maybe if you just want to flag if I've missed any questions that come through, but I, I think I've got I've got some all. The on, on the question of Appani's customers uh, and whether they could face closer scrutiny, like could the SEC potentially, for example, note uh, customers that weren't uh, as thorough and didn't specifically ask how Appani are, are dealing with MMPI and use that as a shortlist um, to target? Like, is is there a I guess the SEC could be used up on his client list as a shortlist for funds to investigate. Is that a risk here? Yes. I'll answer that. Yes. It seems, and it's inferential, but it seems that the 100 plus participants are getting a pass, although there's no guarantee as to that. And so we don't, you know, speculating about that, it's, it's just kind of fruitless from our opinion. I think it's it's, it is, you know, make sure that your processes were, are, are in place and robust, as you've always said, and that if you are not doing what may be considered, quote, best in class, and that's sort of, I think, the process we outlined in broad strokes, evaluate where you may have gaps right now and how you can fill them. Do you need it? Can you do that internally? Do you need to do it some form of external help, help with that stuff? Ultimately, that's, you know, a, a question that has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Peter, anything you'd add? No. No, I okay. Can't. Let's leave this on, on a some, somewhat positive note. Are, are, are there positives to be taken from this? I guess from my, my own perspective, something that uh, Peter and Ben, I think you both highlighted is that the, I think the SEC actually, within their statement, they highlighted that, that Appani were getting the right questions and were just misrepresenting the answers. Um, I guess, is that a positive uh, from, from the, the settlement? And, um, yeah, look, there's no, there's no question there's a positive here. The positive is the industry seems to be doing a good job. The funds weren't charged and the industry needs just need to learn and um, re-up it, you know, just continue to focus on the, I shouldn't say re-up, continue to focus on the things that we've been talking about for years. Yeah. Ben, anything you'd add? Uh, I mean, positive I mean, closing note. Yeah, no, my, my takeaway from this whole thing when I, when I first started to, you know, the first client I spoke to, you know, this is generally a net positive. I agree. Uh, for the whole industry. It's a net positive for the funds. It's a net positive for the, for the vendors. Everybody is going to have to kind of get a little bit tighter, get a little more in line with what expectations are, have been on the buy side for, for years now. And the data vendor community that's selling them data is, is, is now at a very clear notice, on very clear notice that that saying no and not, you know, answering very relevant questions about data provenance is not acceptable. And you, and you better be prepared to be scrutinized by, by market participants. And, and if you push back, you're going to have a whole lot harder time because people just think about that Danny in the back of their head and say, forget it, move on, find the next one. Yeah. That's a wrap.
wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.